Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here on AOA Today, Agriculture of America. Happy to be back in the studio after a few days at the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois. Uh, Beautiful weather, great conversations, a great show overall. Uh, But of course, uh, happy to be back in the studio. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thank you for joining us, making us part of your day today as we have conversations about what is going on in rural America. And we're going to have quite a few conversations here on the show today. Coming up in segment two, we're going to be talking with Dr. John Halsman, political analyst, getting a big picture kind of overview of some of the things that have been happening around the world, geopolitical issues. We got the Russia-Ukraine war. We have the U.S.-China relations. There's a lot going on. We're going to get his thoughts and take a deep dive coming up here in segment two today. Also in segment three, we, uh, we of course, got the EPA news on a revised Waters of the U.S. rule, and I was able to talk with NCBA Chief Counsel Mary Thomas Hart uh, during uh, my time at the Farm Progress Show. She wasn't there, but we found time to connect, and uh, so we're going to listen to that conversation coming up here in segment three today. Also during the Farm Progress Show, I was able to talk with NFU President Rob LaRue and NFU Vice President Jeff Kipley on the grounds there in Decatur, Illinois, and we're going to listen back to that interview as well. Uh, coming up here in segment four today. So a a busy show, jam-packed show. Thank you again for joining us on the program. Well, I want to take a look at a few news headlines because while we were away in Decatur, Illinois, a lot of things happening throughout agriculture. I mentioned the WOTUS rule from the EPA. We're going to, again, hear more about that coming up later in the show, but there are other headlines that we're watching closely. Well, for more than 50 years, U.S. farmers were dominant in the international corn market far and away shipping more corn than anyone else to help feed the world's stockpiles and manufacture food. A Bloomberg article, though, says that's no longer the case. In the agricultural year that ended on August 31st, the U.S. gave up that top spot in corn exporting to Brazil. It might not come back in the near future. In the 2023 harvest year, Brazil will dominate the world's global corn exports at 32%, well ahead of the 23% of corn shipped by the U.S. into the export market. America's only dropped out of the top spot once, doing so in 2013 because of a severe drought. Losing the lead in corn exports may unfortunately be familiar to U.S. producers who lost the top spot in soybean and wheat exports during the last 10 years. So very interesting there. And that goes into the whole global demand picture that we've been seeing for U.S. commodities getting weaker, it feels like here as we've now shifted into the new marketing year as of September 1st. And It's an interesting dynamic, kind of a reshuffling of the deck chair, so to speak. Brazil is sending a lot of their exports to China, for instance, and a lot of things we're going to be keeping our eyes on closely. Speaking of uh, what is going on with exports, we did get a private export sale announcement on Friday morning. That was uh, an interesting nugget there. 198,000 metric tons of beans to unknown destinations for the current marketing year. Something to watch in the market trade as we head and get into the long holiday weekend and on into the month of September. 
Also on Friday morning, highly anticipated jobs report was released, and the U.S. economy created 187,000 jobs in August, according to the morning monthly jobs report, came in stronger than analyst expectations of 170,000. Furthermore, the July data was revised to 157,000 jobs created, down from the 187 originally reported. The private sector added 179,000 jobs in August, up from analyst expectations of 147,000 and up from a downwardly revised 155,000 in the previous week. Manufacturing added 16,000 jobs in August after losing 4,000 in July. The unemployment rate jumped to 3.8% in August, and that was up from analyst expectations. It would remain unchanged at 3.5%. The unemployment rate rose uh, because more people returned to the workforce in August with the labor participation rate rising to 62.8%, up from 62.6% the previous month. The VIX, Wall Street's fear index, uh, getting to a five-week low near 13 following the release of that data as well on Friday morning. So interesting things to watch there in the jobs market. Well, downsizing in the U.S. and Canadian cattle herds continued through the first half of this year as well. All cattle and calves in the U.S. and Canada combined to total 108 million head on July 1, down 3% from the 111 million head on July 1st of last year. All cows and heifers that have calved at 43.4 million head were down 2% from last year. All cattle and calves in the U.S. totaled 95.9 million head on July 1 of this year. That was down 3% from July 1 of last year. All cows and heifers that have calved at 38.8 million head were down 2% from a year ago. All cattle and calves in Canada as of July 1st this year totaled 12.2 million head. That was down 1% from the 12.3 million head on July 1 of last year. And also all cows and heifers that have calved totaled 4.62 million head down 1% from last year. While farm and ranch incomes have declined in the latest USDA forecast, the USDA says farm incomes are lower than they expected earlier this year. Danny Munch, an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation, talks about what the new farm income forecast says about the farm economy. U.S. net farm income is currently forecast at $141 billion. That's down almost a quarter, 23% from last year, which was $183 billion. And that's compared to a 16% decline that they originally estimated in February. That $41 billion decline that they're estimating erases a lot of the gains between 2021 and 2022. So revenue is expected to be down across the board. Now, Munch says nearly all sectors of the farm economy are projected to decrease. The largest decrease in net farm income is tied to a projected fall in cash receipts for livestock, mainly due to lower prices for all commodities except for turkey and cattle. The value of livestock production is expected to decrease about 5%, which is about $12 billion. On the crop side, it's a similar story. They expect crop sales to be down 10% for corn, $8.4 billion. Soybean to be down 8.6%, $5.4 billion. You also have production expenses continue to tick up. Feed costs are up 3%, labor up 5%, marketing costs expected up 5%. And he also said interest expenses or the cost of capital are almost 40% above last year. Munch says farmers and ranchers should make a plan now for how to weather these lower revenues. 
advantage of risk management options available to you. This can include things offered through the federal crop insurance program available for lots of crops, as well as any of the farm bill commodity programs like dairy margin coverage. For those who don't currently have risk management options in place, because maybe there aren't crop insurance programs for that crop or they don't really fit your operation type, this is time to engage with your farm bureau and your elected officials. We're in the middle of farm bill conversations. We want to make sure that the farm bill gets passed and that it's comprehensive and that there's ways for farmers to hedge against revenue declines like this, regardless of what type of crop that they grow. And again, that is Danny Munch, economist with the American Farm Bureau. And I know the talk of the cost of money, the markets, uh, those were some of the big conversations I heard during uh, my time at the Farm Progress show in Decatur this past week. And it's something that is on the minds of a lot of farmers and ranchers, something we're going to be watching very closely as we head into the fourth quarter and beyond. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to have a conversation with Dr. John Halsman about the geopolitical universe, so to speak. What is going on around the world? We're going to get a deep dive from him coming up here after the break as we'll be back with more AOA, Agriculture of America, right after this. people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. 
But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, the political world, geopolitics around the world and more is something that has a direct impact on many of our daily lives. It has an impact on agriculture as well. And it's time for us to take a, a bit of a deep dive into what is going on around the world Joining us here on AOA, friend of the program, and it's my first time getting to talk with him, so pleased to have him with us. And also his new book, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism, is available now for pre-order on Amazon. Dr. John Halsman is with us. Dr. Halsman, I hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Jesse, and thanks for the shameless plug for the book. <laughs> Happy to do that for you, Eddie time and we appreciate you being back on AOA with us and you know Dr. Holzman since the last time you were on the show there's been a lot of goings on around the world whether we think the Russia Ukraine war the US China tensions and some of the Chinese economic issues and more there's just been a lot going on here in the last uh, last few weeks has it there well, Jesse, I run a political risk firm that works around the world. And let me just say business is booming. Yes, there's all kinds of risk and reward out there and a new world we got to make sense of. We do got to try and make sense of it. Well, let's start with the Russia-Ukraine war and that situation in the Black Sea. Uh, since the last time you were on, you know, we've seen Russia start to bomb Ukraine grain export facilities. They backed out of the grain deal. Now there's some murmurs. There could be a new grain deal in the works, et cetera. I'll believe it when I see it. Ukraine is making advances, drone attacks inside of Russia. I know the Wagner leader, uh, Prigorzin, was reportedly killed in a plane crash. I mean, there's right there, there's a lot to take in with the Russia-Ukraine situation. Well, I think the first thing is that the, the cheerleaders for the Ukrainians, and again, I of course, I hope they survive, but I'm an analyst first and a cheerleader second. And the cheerleaders for their advances have gone eloquently silent because they've run into tremendous difficulty on their offensive, as we talked about on the show, that they would. Uh, ma the main reason is that the Russians have mined the area, particularly in the south of Ukraine, and the Ukrainians just don't have enough demining equipment, so they have to go at a glacial pace. The Russians have always been better historically on the defense than on the offense. And so this, this uh, offensive is ground into dust, much as the Russian one did. And as we feared at the beginning of the year when we made our predictions, uh, we're almost back where we started from after a lot of loss of life, about half a million casualties now in the war. And that's a, a, just a, a staggering number and obviously something we don't want to see. And it, it feels like that this whole, it, it feels like this whole situation doesn't feel like there's an end in sight right now, Dr. Halsman. No, I think that's it, Jesse. And the reason is that, and I, I did this when I, I dealt with Northern Ireland in, in uh, Washington, you get to know people on both sides and they kind of said the same thing to me as a young 
jobbing kind of foreign policy guy. As long as you have a theory of victory, you're going to keep fighting. And both sides now have a theory of victory. For the Ukrainians, you're getting your hand on advanced NATO weaponry. It takes a while to get to use it. You've stopped the Russians annihilating your country, but you're going to get better and better at using the high-tech stuff. So why not continue? And from the Russian side, you think, look, we can simply outlast the Ukrainians who are dependent on the West to keep the lights on. Eventually, the West will care less about this than we do. And the tragedy is as long as both sides think they have a theory of victory, wars continue. What about the situation surrounding the Wagner leader, Bogorzin? It seems like there's still a lot of mystery surrounding that. Russian authorities are the only ones that have investigated this crash. That whole uh, uprising, short-lived uprising, it was kind of a, a little nugget caveat to this whole situation with uh, President Putin in Russia as well. Well, I mean, as we've talked before, I mean, if, if I have to, you know, script a new Bond villain for the new movie, I think Putin would probably win. Um, Prigozhin started by having a disagreement within the army, that he ran a private army. He didn't like the fact that his troops were supplied ammunition after the mainstream army. He kind of famously said he thought they were Gerasimov and the others were a bunch of idiots. This was very popular with his men and within Russia, but of course this put Putin on the spot. So it really began out of this disgruntled situation and it, was, it wasn't so much a coup as a mutiny to do better and then nobody stopped him. And so he was shocked at a success. He got within about 120 kilometers of Moscow. He might have been able to take Moscow. He certainly wouldn't have won, but he might have been able to take Moscow. And then he hesitated because that's not what he set out to do. But afterwards, those of us who know Putin would have said to Prigozhin, you want to stay away from windows because an awful lot of Putin's enemies tend to fall out of them. And it was merely a matter of time. You can't grab at the crown, half-heartedly touch it and survive in modern Russian history. And so Prigozhin's days were numbered. Who got him and how they got him to me is secondary, secondary to the point that Putin was always going to get him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With Russia, and we know there's been a lot of sanctions put on Russia's economy and more. Does it feel like the, the Russian economy is at a, at a bad point right now? Because obviously they do have friends around the world. They're sending a lot of stuff to China. Russia's dumping a lot of cheap wheat on the market, etc. So, I mean, where's Russia's economy stand in all this with all this geopolitical tension and the war and all the issues there? One of the problems of the West is that we forgot about capitalism and the Russians are going to sell their energy. And yes, the Europeans have embargoed Russian energy, particularly oil and in a more holding way, natural gas. But the Russians merely sold it at a cut rate to the Chinese and the Indians, almost exactly the same volume. Now, that, that's great for Indian and Chinese consumers, but it doesn't mean Russia ends up being destroyed economically. They have a very able central bank. They've managed to mitigate the crisis. Yes, their economy is under strain, but it hasn't been destroyed as was confidently predicted because as you were just saying about Brazil and corn, markets are more global than they've ever been. And the Russians found other people to supply it, supply it to take care of their supply needs. And we're not going to yell at the Indians about taking cheap Russian oil when we need the Indians to deal with China on all kinds of other matters. Life is complicated geostrategically. Yeah, it is very complicated. We're talking with Dr. John Halsman. And Dr. Halsman, you mentioned China there. Let's talk about that. I know a lot of tension, U.S. and China relations. Uh, there's talk, I believe I heard, that 
President Xi Jinping from China may not attend the G20 now. Uh, and there was talk that he could have a meeting with President Biden there. What's kind of the latest between the U.S. and China and some of the tensions and issues that are going on there? Well, I mean, I think Xi not attending is very interesting because the G20 is an American construct. It's an American idea. It grew out of the original G7. We realized that we need emerging markets to also be included if we're going to actually look at economic issues in the world. The rest of the world signed on. And Xi so studiously ignoring this is a sign that he's not very comfortable living any longer in an American-dominated world. And of course, that is the issue ultimately, that um, to quote the great Johnny Mercer, something's got to give, that the Chinese want to dominate their near abroad, as most rising powers do. The United States does dominate the Indo-Pacific, where most of the world's future economic growth is. And there's a huge contest for power and influence there that isn't easily avoidable. And the goal is to make this a peaceful contest rather than World War III. It is the single most important issue out there. Frankly, everything else compared to the U.S.-China competition in the Indo-Pacific is trivia. That's what matters. And that's a great point you brought up. I know there's a lot of concern. We've obviously seen a lot of the news headlines about China looking to, with Taiwan, of course, yes. and, and some issues there. But I know this, you know, that gives a lot of concern for other countries in the region as well, I feel, here, Dr. Halsman. The best thing going for us is, and we forget this in America, our enemies make mistakes too. We tend to think that our enemies are omnipotent and they're not. I mean, if you look from the Kaiser onwards, and my book is into this, that unrestricted submarine warfare in 1917 was a really bad idea because it brought in the United States to World War One. Declaring war as Hitler did on the United States in, in December 1941 was a really bad idea. Our enemies make bad ideas all the time. And Xi has scared the horses. He's bullied everyone in the Indo-Pacific from Australia over COVID origins to India over the Himalayas to the 10 dash line, as it's called, and now the South China Sea to bullying the Japanese in the East China Sea. And all these countries have flocked to the United States in terms of their security. So these mistakes that Xi has made have actually helped the American position in the region far more than anybody lets on. The boring art of alliance management is the key to the area, but Xi has certainly helped us by scaring the horses. And, and out of some of those countries you mentioned, any one of them able to maybe maybe help ease some of the tensions between the U.S. and China, be a, a middleman, so to speak? I, I would think maybe India, if anybody here. If anybody, it's India, yes. But but I think it's more deterrence that if we can get over, and we Mike and I used to talk about this, if we can get over the next five to seven years, things get a lot harder for China. Demography in China is terrible. It's, they say, 1.4. We think their number is bogus. It's more like 1.1. The replacement rate for people is 2.1. And so China's going to get old before it gets rich. It's alienated all the people in the region. It's got a, it, it's got a black box, so we don't know how bad they're real estate problem is except that it's bad if china doesn't attack taiwan and really upset the balance of power in the near term it's going to have a very hard time doing so in the longer term so the key is deterrence building up these alliances making it yep. less and less likely that china decides to upend the apple cart fantastic insight dr john halsman thank you for joining us here on aoa today we'll get you back on soon my pleasure jesse coming up next very thomas hart with ncba here on aoa 
Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. And you're listening to AOA. Let's take a look at what's happening here in the markets on this Friday as we head to the three-day holiday weekend. Overall, grains are trading a bit higher. Soybeans a little off of their overnight highs, but wheat and soybeans are both leading the complex to the upside here with the corn market up slightly. We are continuing to watch the demand picture. That's going to be a big question mark here for the fourth quarter of the year. Chinese processors crushed 2.16 million metric tons of beans last week, marking the seventh consecutive week of crush above 2 million metric tons. Soybean imports over the time period calendar year to date have exceeded crush by 15%, with the surplus moving to China's reserves. But the big thing is that China is buying a lot from Brazil. Continued concerns about moving cargoes coming from the U.S. Gulf through the Panama Canal, resulting in delays and significantly higher costs for Chinese processors. That has them continuing to buy a larger portion than normal of their fourth quarter needs from Brazil at the expense of U.S. market share. Also, we see stock futures are firm here today following the highly anticipated monthly jobs report out Friday morning, and it's believing that it brought the Federal Reserve closer to a pivot in its monetary policy. The economy created 187,000 jobs in August, according to the morning jobs report, came in stronger than analyst expectations. The VIX fell to a five-week low, near 13 here, following the data release while the dollar index trading near 103. Crude oil is up another 1% to fresh three-week highs on reports that Russia will extend its production cuts through October amid expectations that Saudi Arabia will do the same. Overall, we see soybeans really uh, anywhere about 8 to $0.09 cents higher, corn 1 to 3 higher, wheat trade 7 to 13 higher, cattle and hogs relatively mixed and quiet with some positioning ahead of the holiday weekend. That's Check of the Markets here on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 
Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Well, while we were away at the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois, which was great, again, by the way, uh, awesome crowds, a lot of excitement surrounding some of the new equipment and technology there, beautiful weather. It was, uh, it was an awesome time at, at the show in Decatur, Illinois. Very well done once again for that 70th anniversary of the show. But while we were there, the world didn't stop turning. There was a lot going on throughout agriculture, a lot of stories uh, working their way into the news as we worked to the end of August. And one of those big stories was the EPA releasing a revised Waters of the U.S. rule, a revised WOTUS rule. And there's been a lot of mixed reaction to the rule from U.S. ag groups and elected officials the National Corn Growers Association, their president, Tom Haig, said, quote, the agency failed to open the process to public comment, which would have been extremely valuable, end quote. American Soybean Association president Daryl Cates says, quote, these revisions are window dressing and have and leave in place much of the rules confusing and harmful foundations, end quote. House Ag Chair Glenn G.T. Thompson says EPA's sleight of hand at circumventing the rulemaking process leaves the door open to agency abuse and uncertainty for U.S. agriculture. And Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley is also calling for a legislative fix to the EPA's WOTUS final rule. So uh, a lot of reaction, a lot of negative reaction, and some mixed reaction as well. Well, I had a chance to catch up with Mary Thomas Hart, Chief Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, to dive a little bit deeper into this revised WOTUS rule and get NCBA's reaction to the new rule from EPA here this past Past week, we talked to her while I was at the Farm Progress show. I had a chance to uh, sit down uh, before we had the AOA broadcast and was able to uh, get some comments from her. So let's listen to that interview right now. Here is Chief Counsel for the NCBA, Mary Thomas Hart. Let's talk about the new rule. What exactly has EPA and the Army Corps come out with here in regards to a revised WOTUS rule? Can you at least just get us up to speed there first? Great question. So I'm sure as your listeners will remember, um, earlier this year, back in May, we got a unanimous decision from the Supreme Court related to the definition of waters of the U.S. Um, that holding from the Supreme Court, in effect, uh, invalidated some major pieces of the Biden administration's WOTUS definition that was finalized back in March. Um, so following that court decision, the Biden administration was required to take their rule back to the drawing board and make some changes. Um, we were told that they were going to make some surgical adjustments to the rule, and that's exactly what they did. But even though those adjustments were surgical, as they would like to say, um, they had a significant impact. So some, some major highlights from the rule earlier this week or, or the revisions earlier this week, we saw the, the strike through of any reference to the significant nexus test. And that really was the foundation of EPA's kind of WOTUS assessment for the last 10 to 15 years. So really happy to see that go away um, and replaced with some new standards 
which are relative permanence and continuous surface connection. So uh, a water feature is not going to be jurisdictional unless it's relatively permanent. And a wetland is not going to be jurisdictional unless it has a continuous surface connection to jurisdictional waters. Um, again, a much narrower set of, of waters and wetlands that are now jurisdictional under the Clean Water Act. I think, you know, putting states importantly back in the driver's seat. Well, a lot of great things, interesting things you mentioned there, but I know some of the talk I've heard from groups throughout agriculture is they feel like some feel like it, this may not go far enough in regards to a, a complete new WOTUS rule. So uh, what's your thoughts there? Does what the EPA, does what they've come up with, does it go far enough or do we still need to work on some things here? I I think that this rule goes as far as it could have uh, as a direct final rule implementing the Supreme Court's holding, right? Like it was the quickest way to get the Supreme Court's decision enacted into law or written into the Code of Federal Regulations. But I think you make an important point. There are still some unanswered questions, right? We still have some concerns with how broadly EPA is going to interpret interstate waters. They eliminated interstate wetlands from jurisdiction, but we still have some questions about that interstate waters category. We also need some, I would say, more formal definitions around terms like continuous surface connection and relative permanence. How are those definitions going to impact um, the regulations of features like intermittent and ephemeral tributaries. You know, I think that in our mind, when we, re when we read the Supreme Court decision, they certainly intended to exclude ephemeral features, but EPA has yet to say uh, clearly that they're not going to, you know, try to regulate ephemeral features. So, you know, I think we're, we're kind of running the assessment right now about, you know, how to best engage, right? We know the EPA is certainly going to have to issue some additional guidance and maybe rulemakings, um, but we're, we're, I guess, assessing uh, what the timeline looks like there, right? Is it, is it wise to continue on with our litigation related to the Biden rule, um, or do we wait for EPA to, to take their next steps? It seems like kind of a mixed bag. And I know we've uh, heard comments from, say, Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa calling for a legislative fix here to WOTUS. I mean, this is an issue, Mary Thomas, that has been going on in the courts now for, what, some 10 years, I believe, or longer we've been dealing with this. So I, I guess a uh, twofold question, you know, it, it seems like a mixed bag. Should we be looking for a legislative fix here potentially, or to your point, should we be waiting for EPA to make their next move? So I think that's that's a great question. Um, I think that while there are still some unanswered questions in the WOTA space, I don't want to um, understate how big of a deal this is, right? The fact that we no longer have significant nexus as a standard for determining which features are WOTUS is is a massive amount of progress, right? We are certainly headed in the right direction. And I don't know whether it's through additional rulemakings, whether it's through legislative action. And, and I think it's important to remember that, you know, whatever passes through Congress has to be signed into law by the president. So, you know, we, we, we were able to pass a, a resolution disapproving of the Biden administration's WOTUS rule a few months ago. We, we passed that through the House and the Senate. But President Biden vetoed it. So, you know, we have to remember that 
when it comes to legislative action, we we will need the administrative the administration and Congress on the same page. Um, so, you know, I think thinking through whether court action or administrative action is our best path forward. Um, that's, like I said, an analysis that we're still running. Mary Thomas Hart, Chief Counsel of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, joining us here on AOA today, talking the latest WOTUS rule revision by the EPA and the Army Corps. I know some folks have also mentioned that the agency failed to open the process to public comment here. Is that something that you are concerned about? What, what happened there? Because I, I thought we used to have, uh, isn't it 90 days we're supposed to have open for public comment on things like this? So typically when an agency carries out a rulemaking, they will engage in the Administrative Procedures Act required notice and comment period, right? But there are some uh, narrow categories sometimes when, because the rule is so narrow and it's being written or or um, finalized in order to comply with, with a court holding or a new piece of legislation, because the agency doesn't have much wiggle room, um, it can go what we call direct final. So I, I personally think that, you know, if the agencies had gone broader than they did, if they had, you know, for example, written a definition of continuous surface connection or written a definition of relative permanence, um, then that's maybe something that we would have needed. We, we would have been more concerned about not having the opportunity to provide comment. And I, I would say I, I would, you know, be I'm very confident that in the future, if the agencies attempt to codify those definitions, we will certainly have a role to play in that process. But because this final rule earlier this week was simply codifying the language of the Supreme Court, they didn't have any wiggle room. So, you know, and, and I think that it's also worth noting that a direct final rule is the quickest way to make sure that the Sackett holding is law, right? That, that mm -hmm. that's what regulated stakeholders and landowners across the country have as the standard. Because until EPA finalized that definition, um, significant nexus was still technically the law of the land. So bottom line for our farmers and ranchers across the country here with this uh, updated EPA Army Corps WOTUS definition, what do they need to know here in the short term? I know we're going to have more talk about this and folks are going to be looking at things, but just in the short term, what do they need to remember and know on their operation? Sure. I, great question. And I think that, you know, producers across the country should be able to breathe a sigh of relief after after this final rule that we got this week. There are still some questions that we need to kind of figure out and work through, um, but that'll happen in D.C. And I think for the most part, producers on the ground should be able to go out, look at the features on their operation and make at least a preliminary assessment about if those features are subject to Clean Water Act regulation. If you have isolated features, those are likely not federally jurisdictional and will be managed by your state and local entities. If you have ephemeral features, those are also most likely not jurisdictional. Have a conversation with your local NRC staffer, have a conversation with your local extension office and make sure that you're still going to qualify for those conservation programs. Um, but I think that landowners should feel a lot more freedom in maintaining and, and managing around those water features on their property. Well, Mary Thomas, I know you got your plate full with WOTUS, and we'll continue to uh, stay with you and keep updated on that. Before I let you go, anything else major top of mind for you there at NCBA that we're continuing to uh, keep our eyes on right now you want to mention? 
Well, Jesse, it's it's still a farm bill year. So, you know, yeah. as we, we kind of wind down 2023, it'll certainly be interesting to see what Congress does um, in the farm bill space when they get back from August recess. Once again, Mary Thomas Hart, NCBA Chief Counsel. We talked to her during the Farm Progress Show. All right, coming up next, we also talked to National Farmers Union at the Farm Progress Show. We'll get to that on the way after this here on AOA. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. Always reserved. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Steve Meisch, a grain sales manager with CHS, about pre-harvest marketing strategies. What is the market telling farmers about selling grain out of the field or storing right now? Well, looking at the current corn and bean market, there's a little bit of carry there. 
which is um, <laughs> it's a good thing to see. Honestly, it's really good to see. So the farmer deciding to store is a very simple marketing plan if he or she wants to do that. I think with the variable um, yields that we'll see, because some places missed a lot of rain, some places didn't get any during the growing season, which the rains have turned on now, I think there will be some pricing opportunities is the way I feel like the market could give us a chance to price some grain before harvest here or during harvest for that matter. Steve, what marketing tools should farmers consider using this year? With the volatility in the market, the easiest way and most simple way to market would probably be using some hedge to arrives to their advantage. The hedge to arrive leaves you to set basis later, which gives you the flexibility to go anywhere you want during harvest. So the flexibility in that is very good and an average marketing plan. They're very simple and very underutilized with the volatility in the market and an average pricing program, pricing grain every day at the close for you. Well, why is it important for farmers to know their per bushel cost of production to set their marketing price targets? Well, we need to know our break-even so we don't sell the grain below our cost of production. Knowing your cost of production is going to make your operation just that much more successful. There hasn't been that many opportunities this year, unfortunately, in the market in which they gave us. So the easiest way to do that is just get as close as you possibly can. That's Steve Meisch on Around the Table, brought to you by CHS. Any information or opinions presented are for informational purposes only and do not constitute trading, legal, or other professional advice. CHS makes no warranties about any information or opinions provided and shall not be liable for the use thereof of any errors or omissions therein. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA. Before we run out of time here today, also during the Farm Progress Show, I had a chance to sit down with National Farmers Union President Rob LaRue and National Farmers Union Vice President Jeff Kipley. Let's listen into that interview, hear a little bit about the Farm Bill as well as their upcoming fly-in in D.C. and more. Here is that interview with Rob LaRue and Jeff Kipley from the National Farmers Union. Rob, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, good to be here. And NFU Vice President Jeff Kipley is with us. Jeff, good to see you as well. Thank you so much, Jesse. Well, let's talk a few different issues. And I think first off, top of mind, Farm Bill, everyone is talking about it. We are getting ready to come out of the August recess here and get back to work on Capitol Hill. And it sounds like Farm Bill... Not going to make this deadline that was originally September 30th. There's still talk it could be end of the year. But if we go past the end of the year, then there's talk of the one-year extension because it's going to get caught up in a, in a presidential election. So, I mean, what's the latest that you both are hearing on the farm bill and, and where do things stand? What's NFU's stance on, on everything right now? Well, certainly we want to see a farm bill done, uh, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, but probably more important than that, we need to see a farm bill done correctly. So sure. we don't want to rush it through uh, and, and miss an opportunity here to strengthen the safety net, for example. Uh, so we're obviously pushing uh, for Congress to hopefully find a path through this. I, I will just note that farm bills in the you know past have been always had their big challenges. And it seems like we're always at this brinksmanship kind of contest where are we going to get a farm bill done or not? Um, I, I think there's still a chance to get it done by the end of the year. I th certainly think that congressional leaders uh, want to make that happen. Uh, so where there's a will, hopefully they'll find a path through that. I will agree, though, if it goes into next year I, or we're looking like that, uh, not be able to get it done this year, 
I think you're looking at a one-year extension at the very least. Yeah, and, and Jeff, to Rob's point, getting it done right, I think, is is the most important thing. We want to be timely, but making sure we do it right, I think, is important as well. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, it, when you look at the issues that we're facing uh, in farm country, especially in cattle country, uh, there are some issues that need to be addressed in this farm bill, and if we just ignore them, and push it off for another five years, it'll be too late for some farmers. Yeah, and we don't want it to be too late. So we'll keep watching the farm bill. We'll see what happens here on Capitol Hill. I know we got appropriations and all that stuff to go through as well yet, so we'll keep our eyes on that. Uh, just here in the last couple of days, we've had a revision to WOTUS, and I know we're still kind of gathering details on this, but any comment at all on, on what the EPA and the Army Corps has come out with i know they got rid of the significant nexus test which was a big sticking point for folks so yeah so i think you know we're, we're still going to be assessing this but i think uh this is just this political football on this wordless issue that you know continues to be tossed around uh over the how many decades now have we been uh going back and forth on this and uh in the end unfortunately uh farmers uh, are, are left with a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questions remaining. Uh, we certainly have a lot of questions for EPA on some of the changes that they've made here. Uh, we think the reaction to the Supreme Court in some ways brings some certainty, as you just mentioned with the significant nexus uh, kind of removal. But uh, uh, still, I think farmers are left kind of wanting uh, more certainty, and, uh, and, and I think there's room for improvement for sure. Okay. Jeff and Rob, I know as well, you guys are kind of on a road show right now for NFU, and you're getting ready for a big fly-in coming up here in a couple of weeks in Washington, D.C. Can you just talk about first uh, some, of the, some of the road show aspect of what you guys are out doing here across the uh, heartland right now? Yeah, we're just trying to get our uh, boots on the ground, kind of see what, what's happening here in Indiana and Illinois, talking to farmers, the local farmers. Uh, I farm in south, or northeast South Dakota. And, you know, what things look like up there are different than down here, and practices are different, and it's good just to get out and meet the farmers. Uh, then we're also trying to, you know, reach out and connect with the local uh, FSA leaders, uh, NRCS leaders, just to kind of see what, what they're hearing as well. So that's what we've been doing so far, and I think it's been a good trip so far. We've uh, just gotten to Illinois, so this is our first stop in, in lovely Illinois. Well, and what are some of the conversations you've been hearing with farmers? As I know you mentioned just getting to Illinois, but Indiana. I mean, what are some of the things you are hearing? Is there a consistent theme, consistent message you're hearing? Probably a, a lot of kind of consistent themes uh, are, are related around certainly farm bill and what that's going to mean. But really what folks are looking on is as they look out over the next several years, uh, all the challenges that they're facing. Certainly you have the usual kind of weather-related uh, disasters and so forth that might uh, be part of the formula. But what are we doing out there to give farmers the tools necessary to do what they do best uh, and to build some resilience in their operations so that they can have, you know, a greater shot at profitability? I mean, that's the bottom line here for, for farmers. So whether it's uh, greater uh, access to innovation, whether it's uh, removing regulatory burdens, uh, whatever we can be doing to make sure that that marketplace is functioning properly and farmers have that fair shake, uh, that's what we're striving for. And I mentioned as well the fly-in. You were telling me a little bit about that ahead of time. Give, give us the details on what that's all going to entail. I, I tell you what, farmers are the best lobbyists. I, you know, uh, that word lobbyist sometimes <laughs> gets tossed around. But when farmers are telling their own story 
And too often, I think, as farmers, we, we think that, you know, our own story, our own operation maybe uh, isn't going to make a difference. But uh, that's just dead wrong because farmers, when they actually speak up and talk about what impacts uh, regula regulations or policies have, uh, what the market is uh, meaning in their operation and, and their situation, uh, that is a really powerful tool. And so uh, National Farmers Union is going to be bringing about 400 farmers, uh, ranchers to D.C. in a couple of weeks uh, to deliver that message, not only to Capitol Hill, where we hope to get a farm bill, you know, hopefully uh, done, but also around to all the agencies that uh, have huge impacts on farmers and ranchers. So that's everything from Department of Justice, certainly USDA, uh, Federal Trade Commission, uh, and certainly uh, EPA. Well, a lot of great things going on. Of course, we'll uh, we'll stay close with you guys. We'll get you back on the show again, uh, probably after that fly-in. We'll see how things went and uh, discuss some of the topics that were discussed there. But I know you guys have a busy day here at the Farm Progress Show. So, Rob, Jeff, thank you both, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much. And once again, talking with NFU President Rob LaRue and NFU Vice President Jeff Kipley during the Farm Progress Show. Well, happy to be back in studio after a few successful days there in Decatur, Illinois. We got a lot in front of us we're going to be keeping our eyes on as we get into the month of September with the August recess over. Going to be a lot of activity on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Also, this heat and dryness sounds like it's rapidly maturing and drying down much of this corn crop, soybeans as well. How soon will fall harvest be upon us? Those are some of the things we're going to be watching closely here in the weeks ahead on AOA. Thank you, as always, for joining us here on AOA Agriculture of America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan. And it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 